Forgiven in Mormonism basically means that you're just being accepted to the college of salvation. That's all forgiveness in their mind is. You've been accepted to the college of salvation. Now, in college, you have to work really hard to graduate to receive your diploma called salvation. Do you understand? That's what Mormons believe. If you want salvation, ask Jesus. He'll get you into the college, but now you've got to work really, really hard. And if you don't work really, really hard, you're not going to graduate and receive salvation. And Islam is a little bit similar, but, but also different. Islam says you start off good, you then become bad, and for the rest of your life, you're trying to have your good outweigh your bad. So if you committed murder, you better become a really good person. If you've done some things, you can never become good enough to be forgiven. So if you blaspheme God, you'll never be forgiven. That, that's something you can't work your way back from. It's called shirk. If you commit shirk, you're done. You're over. You're going to hell. Now, when we look at the Christian faith, we teach that there's a legitimate place called hell. That this is a real place. This is not mythological. You've got to understand I'm coming right out the cults class, too, so in our 201. So I'm going to keep using some cults examples. This is not like Jehovah Witnesses that say it's just temporary. This is not like uh, Catholics wanted to teach that there's a purgatory, so not really, you're, you know, if grandma didn't accept Jesus, she'll go to purgatory. You know, she's really, she's really not going to hell. She'll go to some place not as bad. No, this is a real place. And what we teach is the only way you can be saved and not go to hell is through Jesus' blood. Amen? But yet we learn in the beginning of creation that we failed God. Adam and Eve failed God. And if somebody were to say, well, I'm not Adam and Eve, you know, I didn't fail God, well, then all we need to do is look at your life, and your life will demonstrate that you failed God already in your personal walk. If you've committed a lie, you've committed a sin, if you've stolen. Now, I want you to go back in your mind to this story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are perfect. They're in a garden, and they have a relationship with God. When they sin, they realize they're naked. How come they didn't realize they were naked before? Because they were surrounded by the glory of God. Now, they're naked. What do they do? They now run and they try to go hide from God. They're naked, hiding from God. And what do they do? They clothe themselves in some type of a fig tree or fig, you know, covering, leaves. Why? Because they know something is wrong. Then God comes to them and he says, where are you? Now, did God not know where they were? Could, not, could God not see through the bushes? Was God unable to find them? Was it a little hide-and-go-seek? Come out, come out. No, what God was saying is, do you know where you are? Then Adam begins to say, well, we're naked. Can you just turn down this speaker right here? I'm getting a ring. Thank you. He says, who told you you were naked? And the answer to that question is never really answered. But it goes back to their shame from sin. And so how I understand that is that when they sin, the devil now began condemning them. And it doesn't say that, but I believe that's how they began to know they were naked. And that it was wrong to be around God is because they felt their own guilt and shame. 
And what was their tendency in guilt and shame? Everybody look up at me, please. What was their tendency? To run away and hide. To run away and hide. Now, look at your life. When you sin, what is generally your tendency with God? To run away and hide. You know you've lost something. You know that you're not where you're supposed to be. You recognize that something is not right. You've lost your purity. You might have lost your testimony. You, you might have broken a relationship. Depending on your sin, the consequence, you might have lost your marriage. You might have lost respect with your children if you've abused them in some way. You might have lost a position in this church. Why? Because you sinned. But what is our reaction when we're lost? Our ultimate reaction is not to go our way back to God. That's not our first reaction. Our first reaction isn't, you know what, let me go and make this right. No, the reaction is, let me hide. Let me hide from God. And you'll talk to people, and that's exactly what they're like. Especially in the church. You would think, well, once we got saved and we sinned, we got pretty good at asking for forgiveness. No. We're just as bad as the people who are sinners. Brother, I'm hearing some type of a ring. Mute all the mics. Shut off the sound. Just get me that ring out of my ear. I'm hearing it. Thank you. Sensitive to ears now since I got that little ring. I have a little tinnitus. I think Ish can relate. Thank you. We're not as good as we think we should because Christians, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, if I sin, I get forgiven. And I know people abuse God's forgiveness because they'll live unholy lives and they'll just say, well, God, forgive me. But ultimately, I don't really see people act like that. Ultimately, how I see people act is when they sin, they run away from God. You won't see somebody in the church for a few weeks and they're like, man, you, you were serving God. What happened? And they're just like, oh, I just didn't want to come. And you start getting into their life. What, what really happened? They sinned. And they began to feel naked. And they began to feel ashamed. And now what do they want to do? Hide from God. You try to call them. They don't call you back anymore. You, I got people nodding heads now. Come on. You know, you used to meet for accountability. Now you can't hang out anymore. Why? Because we feel the same way Adam and Eve did. We feel naked. We know we've lost something. And we want to hide. What I want to teach you today is probably one of the greatest commandments in the Bible. After loving God, after not murdering, after not stealing from your neighbor, after not committing adultery with your wife's, uh, your, friend, uh, your neighbor's wife, it's the command to ask for forgiveness. It's found in 1 John, and just turn there with me so I don't just have to quote it, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and then we'll tell the story of the prodigal son. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. So here we find out that Jesus is our forgiveness. Now, how is that forgiveness received? Go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So what do I have to do? It starts with an R. One, two, three. Repent. Thank you. So there's a command. So for all sinners, we're commanded to repent. Well, what about pastors when they sin? You know, I'm not technically a sinner under God's eyes. I'm a saint now. But what am I commanded to do when I sin? Repent. What about for worship leaders? They're not sinners anymore. They're saints of God. What are they commanded to do, Ish? Repent. Everybody in this church, you believe in God. You've accepted forgiveness. Mostly all of you have been baptized. We missed baptizing one special one right there in the back, but I heard he was sick after he paid his money. We felt bad for you, Aramis. We'll give you back your refund. He was like one of the only guys that paid on time and he got the money in early and then he got sick. But we'll still get you baptized, brother. But you know what? Repentance, for some reason, becomes hard for Christians, even though they're not sinners like they used to be. And I want to teach you how to repent. I want to teach you how to do it. So many times we just take it for granted. Come to this altar. Repent, repent, repent. So many times you've been told by your accountability, your discipler, you know, the person going through the one-on-one book, you need to repent. And we say it all the time here. But I want to teach you. I want to teach you how to do it. And you might say, Pastor, but I'm pretty experienced at it. I've done it a whole lot. But I want to encourage you to keep doing it. So that you'll never be like Adam and Eve, separated, lost, away from God, saying, I don't know where I am. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. See, look at when we say that word, lost. You know, it's one thing like Ricky getting lost on his way to the retreat for about two hours, even though he had two GPSs and MapQuest. Oh, he corrects us. It's only one hour. But it's a whole nother thing to be out at sea on a little raft in the darkness of night to be lost. That's the image that God is telling you. You were lost. Lost. And the only way you could get back is through repentance. And so that feeling that you feel of guilt, that feeling that you feel of shame is not there to condemn you. It's there so that you don't become lost. Let's go to that story, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm going to read the whole story because I'm not going to take for granted this passage today. Amen? I'm not going to say, well, you guys know. You know, you, you know the prodigal son. Everybody know? Yeah, I know. No, I want to read it to encourage you. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, forgive. Father, give me my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Jared, continue reading, please.
Amen. And we'll save that part for the older brother later. But thank you, my brother. Think about that. The prodigal son was in the house. He receives an inheritance, and yet he leaves and he squanders it. Now, a lot of people look at this and they say, this is the description of a sinner going out and sinning. No, sinners are not children of the Father. If you want to take the parable for what it is, you need to understand these are children of the Father. These are people like you and me. You understand this is a person like you and me. This is describing us. Somebody say us. The prodigal son isn't Flacco out there shooting up the block, amen, that was baptized in St. Mary's Church and that only knows little baby Jesus like Talik Deganites, you know, little sweet baby Jesus, you know what I'm saying? This is not Cousin Flacco over here who's never known the Lord from his left hand to his right. This is us. This is us. This is a story about you, about me, and what we do. We take the blessings of our inheritance and we squander it when we sin. That's exactly what the illustration is teaching you. When you sin, it's like taking everything good God has given you and then go living with the pigs. Wasting it and then going living with the pigs. That is what he's telling you. When, when I was 16, 15 years old and I accepted Christ and I began to live for the Lord and I backslid and I began to live in sin, I, I was taking every good thing God gave me and I wasted it. I wasted my gifts, wasted my talents, wasted my virginity, wasted my purity, and just wasted it, and I ended up living with the pigs. Every single one of you, you could go through your life right now if you have ever backslid, and you would understand that. If you as a Christian have ever sinned, you would know that you were beginning to throw it away. Even just one sin, Pastor? Yes, Griselda, if you were thinking that. Just one sin, yes. One sin is us beginning to take our things and turn our back on God. So the first thing I want you to understand is that the prodigal son is us. We are the father's children. We have the inheritance. Sinners never had the inheritance. How can they lose what they never had? That's what I say to Calvinists and people who say you can't backslide. How do you lose something you never had? These guys never had it. The prodigal son cannot apply to unbelievers. It has to be to believers. So he squanders it. He wastes it. And that's what people are like, I'm sure, even as much as I don't like it. But there's going to be somebody today that we know should be in this church, whether it's from the youth group, whether it's from somebody from Facebook we invited. And they're not going to show up today. Because they know they're naked and they're wasting their life and they're ashamed to come back to God. And if all of those people that I know that have been saved just in this church showed up today, we would be out on the street. There would be 100, 200, 300 people all over, just packed in this place and on the streets. If all the backsliders came back. But I, I want you to hear what this man did. He wasted everything. He's eating from the swines. In verse 17, look what it says. When he came to his what? 
his senses. He wasn't living by his ignorance anymore. He came to his senses. He realized, dude, I made a mistake. I'm dumb. What am I doing here? Have you ever felt that way after you've sinned? You're just like, why did I do that? What is wrong with me? Now, we're not talking about beating yourself up. We're not talking about living in pity. But coming to your sense, like Adam and Eve, who were children of God, who were perfect in His image, realizing we backslid. What did we do? We're naked. We can't fix it. Have you tried to fix your sin? You try to fix it. I'll do better. I'll try this. And you can't fix it. Sin is an incurable disease. The only cure is the blood of Jesus. And so he realized, I messed up. The first part about true repentance, number one, is realizing you messed up. Coming to your senses. I messed up. Why why am I treating my parents like this? Why am I treating my wife like this? Why did I lust? Why did I become angry? Why am I being tempted to drink? Why am I fantasizing about this? What is wrong with me? I'm, I'm wrong. I'm messed up. He came to his senses. He knew he was like Adam and Eve, naked and away from God. The next thing that it says is that he said to himself, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He realized that being least in the kingdom of God would be better than being the greatest in the kingdom of the devil. He began to realize, I could be P. Diddy out here. I could be Donald Trump, and it's still not as good as being just a servant in my father's house. I was listening to Steve Harvey's testimony. If you've ever remembered Steve Harvey, look him up on YouTube crying on Christian television now sharing his testimony. Just a sign to us of another celebrity that realizes that having all of that is just like being with the swine if you don't have God. And that being the doorkeeper, just coming to church and opening the door for somebody is better for serving God than being Donald Trump owning a building downtown. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I could get to preaching a whole other message. You should be privileged to come here. You should say, Pastor, it would be an honor to sweep these floors, clean these windows, because it's so much better being in God's house than, than the best mansion in the, the whole world. So number two, he realizes that it would be better to be least in God's kingdom than to be great in this world. He says, man, I would be better just going home, just being a servant, not even a son anymore. Then verse 18 I will set out and do what? Go back. Somebody say, go back to my father. The third thing you have to do is go back. See, the first thing you do is you come to your senses. I've sinned. I know I've sinned. I messed up. I feel terrible. Second thing is you realize it's always better in God's house. It's always 
better to come to church. It's always better, young ladies, to come to youth group. It's always better to call up your accountability. It's always better to go and pray instead of continuing in sin, continuing in the mud. And number three, you set in your heart, I will go back. I will go back. I will make this right. I'll get another shot at it, and I'm going to do differently this time. I'm not going to look at the Internet and pornography this time. I'm not going to lose my temper this time. I'm setting out, and I'm going back. I will go back. I will make this right, and I will go back. I will not hide here naked and ashamed trying to cover myself. I will respond to the Father. I will go back. And number four, I will tell him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, in this illustration, we know the Father is the heaven that he sinned against. In our illustration, heaven's the Father, and then the you is whatever we've done wrong to people. It could be I've sinned against heaven and myself. I've sinned against heaven and my wife. I've sinned against heaven and my parents when I rebelled. Because when you sin, it's just not I sinned against the person I stole from. It's always first an offense to God. It's not just you going back to somebody, man, I'm sorry about gossiping. I'm sorry, about, I, I, I said things about you, and I'm sorry. No, you first need to go to God because when you gossiped, it first offended God. I sinned against you, heaven, God, Father. It, it, it was between you and I. Even though I got mad at this person in traffic, even though I lusted after this young lady, even though it seems like it was just between us down here on earth, my wife and I, we didn't get along. No, God, I realized the first person it was you because I broke your commandment. You told me not to steal. You told me not to lust. You told me not to get angry. You told me not to treat people that way. I know I sinned against you. And then I repent for sinning against all these people I affected. You see, repentance is the confession of that sin to God and to the people around you that you affected in that sin. You see, I affect more people. I came before you today and I said, I have sinned against my family by committing an affair. That doesn't just affect my family, it affects everyone. I need to ask for your forgiveness. You see, between God and man seeking forgiveness, well, that's what repentance is, my friends. Number one, it's you realizing you have sinned. Number two, it's you recognizing that God's kingdom is the best place to be. Number three, it's going back to him, going back to where you need to be. And number four, it's confessing it to him and to others. Somebody say, to God and to others. Now look at the response that he has. with the, Look at the father responding to him. So he gets up, he goes away, and he starts heading home. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, somebody say, I'm still a long way off. Come on. See, you've got to understand, when you're in that place of repentance, you're thinking you're in glory, you're, you're, in, you're in Sheikaboomba town. No, you're just starting on the journey now. You're just starting. But guess what? When you're a long way off, somebody's going to meet you now. While he was a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I want to challenge somebody from crossover or elevate to do a drama of the prodigal son and show somebody running in this church like the father did to his son. And it will bring people to tears if you do it right. To show the illustration of a man hitting a sprint and running and embracing his son. Why? Because this is an illustration of God. 
He sees us a long way off. Boy, they are messed up. They hurt a lot of people, but I see them coming back and repenting. I'll meet them now. I'll come from heaven to earth by the Holy Spirit and meet them now. I'll embrace them now. I will kiss them now. I will bring them in my arms now. He runs to meet us. Do you understand this? He's not running away from you. You see, the devil tried to tell you that when you sinned, it wouldn't be a big deal. That was his first lie. He said, just go ahead and look at a little pornography. Just go ahead and disobey your parents. Just go ahead and do this. So the first lie he tells you, it's not a big deal. Then you finally do it. Then he tells you, it's such a big deal, you'll never be forgiven. Now look at you. You're so terrible. God will never forgive you. God will never take you back. So he tells you two lies. The first one, it's not a big deal. Go ahead and do it. Once you've done it, he says, it's such a big deal, you'll never be forgiven. Both are lies. It is a big deal. Don't sin. But if you have sin, it's not too big for God. See, don't run away. Don't stay at home from church. Don't get away from your accountability partner. Don't put on the TV and start making excuses. Don't just say, oh, nobody's perfect. I can't do that. No. Come to your senses. Desire to come back. Repent and start walking towards the Father saying, we're going to do it this time, Father. And watch what He does in your life. He will come running to you. Running to embrace you, to welcome you. And the rest of the story says they celebrate. Why? Because the Father says, My son, who was once dead, is now alive. Two things. First of all, that puts the fear of God in me. If I'm as a Christian and I begin to live in sin, I will be dead to my Father. That's a holy fear of God passage right there. I will be dead to him. I will not receive his inheritance. I've squandered what he gave me. Now it's gone. I've trampled his blood. No more sacrifice remains. But yet there's hope for the backslider because when they were dead, they came back and now they're alive. So does Jesus still love backsliders? Yes. Does he love Christians who are not backsliding but are going back into sin. Yes. Because if they'll just come right back to Him, He'll forgive them. See, that's repentance, friends. That's how you live. That's how you walk out this life. Whenever you find yourself turning from God, whenever you find yourself squandering the things that God has given to you, your purity, your relationships, your calling, whenever you sin, come right back to your senses. Man, what am I doing? This is stupid. It's like living with the pigs. I'd rather be with God. Lord, forgive me. Honey, forgive me. Brother, forgive me. Sister, forgive me. God, I'm coming back. I'm walking with you again. I'm reading my Bible again. I'm praying again. I'm coming to church again. And then Sheikah, boom, but God, I sense you here. That's the thing that will always follow is God's love, His compassion. Now turn with me in closing to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4.16. When you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Wait for a few of you guys. Either you're really tired or there's not a lot of you there. Like, we're there. Start in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one 
who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Praise God. So Jesus was even tempted like us. So He understands temptation, yet He didn't sin. So He understands you. Let me tell you something. If you, if you struggle with homosexual temptation, He understands you. If you struggle with pornography, He understands you. If you struggle with anger, He understands you. You know how people say, nobody understands me. You deal with depression, which is a sin against yourself. He understands you. Nobody understands why I hate myself so much. No, He understands you. Nobody understands the the reason why I'm so angry inside. No, He understands you. Nobody understands how hard it is for me not to, to want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm so lonely. No, He understands you. Nobody understands how hard it is for me to forgive because unforgiveness is a sin. Nobody understands how hard it is for me to forgive people. They don't understand. It's just too hard. No, God forgives. No, God understands you. He understands the most nastiest temptation you and I could ever imagine. He understands it. But He knows what it is to resist it. Verse 16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, oh, you're saying, Pastor, I'm so encouraged now. I know that I can go to the Lord and receive forgiveness because this tells me I can't. No, 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 no. You just missed it. Some of you Bible students might have caught it, but some of you it went over your head. No, 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 no. This is not a scripture that says when you've sinned, this is what you do. This is a scripture that says you can even come to him when you're tempted to sin. And not be ashamed, but come confidently and ask for grace. Well, I thought grace was just when I sinned, Pastor. I thought you were just teaching us how to come back after we said, no, I just showed you. I'm teaching you now how to have grace before you sin. See, grace is not always just unmerited favor to help forgive. It's also power in your hour of need. It's, it's saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm getting tempted right now. I'm feeling these things pulling me towards the pit, towards the uh, the, the pig swine, wherever he was, eating pig swine, uh, eating the food of the, it's pulling me towards evil. I need help. Help me. The pigsty is the word I was looking for. I'm feeling temptation. Pull me. Guess what you do? You ask for help. You ask for help. You are a son, a daughter of a heavenly Father who loves you. He understands you. He understands me. He understands the exact dynamic of why it's so tempting to you. You know, well, I'm not attracted to to brown-haired girls that are every set. I'm attracted to blonde ones that are a little bit skinny. And God understands exactly what you're attracted to, and He knows exactly why it's full. Well, I'm not really attracted to Heineken, and I'm not attracted to whiskey. I'm attracted to popping the cork and drinking champagne on New Year's Eve. He knows exactly what you're tempted for. Well, I'm not really tempted to steal, but, but, I'm, but I'm tempted to lie on my taxes, and I'm tempted to put a number there. That, you know, he knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows why you're thinking it. 
Well, I'm not really tempted to go out and have an affair with my wife, but I, but I just like having fantasies. No, he knows exactly why you are tempted. The way He knows exactly the way temptation is served to you by the devil in your flesh. He knows exactly why you like it just that way. You don't like it too hot. You don't like it too cold. You don't like too much frosting. You don't like it too sweet. He knows exactly how it is. And so in that time of need, he'll give you wisdom and power how to avoid that temptation. He'll tell you specifically this is what you need to do. For me... It was cut out secular music, cut out these type of movies, stop hanging around these type of people. God began to speak to me specifically. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You confess it to your wife. You go and do this. He gave me the exact steps what to do, that if I follow this exact type of plan he gave me for my temptation, if I follow it this way, I'll never fall into sin. You find yourself getting mad, step away, sing a song to me, you won't get mad. If I do that, I'll never get mad. So if all of a sudden you see me in the corner, like I'm about ready to get mad, I'm like, ah, hold on, holiness, holiness. And like people are just walking, like we're in a staff meeting, I'm just like, holiness, woo. Okay, now what did so-and-so do? <laughs> like and all of a sudden, like we're in a meeting, and like it just stands up, holiness. Come on, pastor, sing it with me, Holiness. Praise the Lord. But you know what I'm talking about because you've built a relationship with God. And if you don't know these things, that you need to build a relationship. And he'll talk to each one of you because he understands you. He understands exactly why sin is so tempting to you. And he'll just share with you, just do this, just do that. And you won't want to sin anymore. And that's how we avoid the sin. But if we do sin, remember what the prodigal son learned. Remember how to come to your senses, realize it is so wrong. Come to your senses and realize it's better to be with God than anywhere else. That's not an option. Quitting is not an option. Staying home is not an option. Confess it. Who cares what you look like to others? It's so funny that one time my friend said in his heart, he said, I will go to every altar call that I hear. I don't care. I I just want Jesus. If I've sinned during the week, I'll just go up there and repent. I'm going to every altar call. And one time, you know, he was in a service and the the brother said, if you're dealing with homosexuality, come up here right now. And he he missed that part. And he said he just responded to the altar call. He looked around. It's not many people up here, but praise God. Lord, forgive me. He started praying. He said the pastor walked up to him and said, Brother, how long have you been attracted to men? He said, Dear Lord. He said, I've sinned, but not that way. But his heart was right. His understanding was right. Because his understanding was, I'll just go to every altar call until I can understand how to do an altar in my house. An altar in my home. Set up an altar in your car. I'm going to pray right now. See, the altar is where we pray before God. I'll set it up right now and live for the Lord and watch what God will do. And as you walk with Him every day of your life, He'll always be faithful. Amen.